Listeners, it's Sam here again, and just the usual shout out for our brilliant sponsors before this week's show. Paces Ahead have courses for the start of 2024, and listeners, here's a possible sweetener for you. I will be there at their first course of 2024. That's the 16th to the 19th of January. Please do come along and say hi if you catch me. It would be great to meet some of you if you're there. But there is also a course the following week from the 20th to the 23rd of January for those of you sitting in the first diet of 2024. Not only that, but they also have courses lined up for May as well. The 20th to the 23rd of May and the 28th to the 31st of May. I highly recommend booking on early to avoid disappointment. They very regularly get oversubscribed. If you can't make a course though, past tests have got you covered with their market-leading online revision paces resource. I think most pacer sitters would agree this is more or less essential to have to complement your ward-based preparation. So to get access, just click any of the links in the show notes labelled past test. But enough on that for now, let's get started on this week's episode. Welcome back team to this bonus content from the Pre-Paces podcast. It's Sam here and while we usually target our content at doctors sitting their paces, really IMT trainees, today we've constructed a bespoke episode for those of you who aren't yet IMT trainees but are considering applying in the near future. This episode is designed to give you a bit of insight into how the self-scoring assessment works for your application portfolio and we will be covering all the changes that have been made this year for the IMT 2023 recruitment cycle, including the timeline of events and the dates for your diary to make sure you don't miss those all important deadlines. I'm joined by IMT3, Dr. Manuela Amaya, a recent new colleague of mine who was an absolute delight to have on the show to discuss this important topic for prospective IMT applicants. And for those of you who are maybe medical students or maybe even those of you who aren't doctors, this episode might give you a brief glimpse into how the recruitment of doctors into training posts work and mean you can understand what it means when someone tells you they're applying to a training program. But enough on that for now, let's get stuck into this delicious bonus episode of the podcast. Welcome back to this episode of the Pre-Paces Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sam Williams, and this is a bonus episode. This is going to go out between our usual programming, and we are welcoming to the show a brand new guest. It is friend of the show, Dr. Manuela Amaya. Yeah, thank you. How did my pronunciation go? That was perfect, like you said before. Amaya like papaya. Yeah. Exactly. And Manny, you're a friend of the show. Oh, and I should say she's just called my mate Manny. So yeah, I'm just gonna... we're called, we call me Manny. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And Manny's a friend of the show because we've basically more or less just started working together. We have. And you knew about the show when, when we first met. Yeah. I was a big fan of the show. It got me through paces. And when I found out that I was going to be working with Sam Williams, I was very excited and I couldn't believe it. And here we are. 
You actually lost consciousness the first time we met. I did. Actually, it does feel like working with a celebrity. Stop it. Stop that right now. (laughs) Anyway, so guys, this is going to be a bit of bonus content where it may be slightly uh, pitched below the usual level of uh, listener that we aim this podcast at, which is mainly going to be those in their IMT training, those who might be applying for specialist training here in the UK, all those sitting paces anywhere else in the world. But today we're going to be aiming at those who are looking to get on the internal medical training ladder in the UK. And Manny is currently, you're in your IM3 year now, That's aren't you? That's right, yeah, uh-huh. And you're in the seventh deanery, mm-hmm. and you've been here through the whole of your IMT programme. I have. And so I guess the really big news is that In the last couple of weeks and months, the Royal College has detailed updates to the application process for the IMT training. And so for those of you who really can't be bothered to wade through the huge number of documents that are on their website, we're hopefully going to be giving you a bit of an update on some of the changes to the IM3 application process. And so some of the things we're going to be covering are... The changes to the portfolio scoring, which form an important part of the application process. And probably, Manny, it would be fair to say what a lot of the applicants tend to worry about before it comes to the interview day. Exactly. And we're hopefully going to be giving some advice for you as to how you can prepare your portfolio, things you can do now to maximise your point scoring in that domain and hopefully set you up well for your interview day. Mm -hmm. So should we get into it? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, Manny, so just to start off, we're going to start talking about the timeline of the applications, Mm -hmm. which is the most important thing. And that's why I really wanted to get this episode recorded and out. And this episode will be going out on on the 30th of October. The applications open on the Thursday, the 3rd of November. So our listeners should have time to listen before the applications open and then before the applications close on the 1st of December 2022. And I guess it's a good it's good to start early and have lots of time to the application. There's a few sections to it. So it's good to, to yeah, just start early and make sure you have plenty of time to finish it. Yeah, absolutely. And so a good number of our listeners may be either in their F2 year, maybe even F1 year. Some of them will be trust grade doctors. Some of them might be clinical fellows, mm-hmm. clinical teaching fellows, or just at a crossroads in their career and they think they're going to end up doing IMT training. So, Manny, before we come on to talk about the portfolio scoring changes themselves, we're going to run through the, the timeline of things running from the point which the applications open, which we've already said is the 3rd of November, to the times the applications have to be submitted by, which is the 1st of December. So that has to go in your calendar. The 1st of December, 2022, is the date your applications have to go in. After that, there are a number of key dates for your diary where you might not actually have to do anything, but there's going to be work going on behind the scenes, um, which is going to be significant to do with your application. So Manny, one of the things on the timeline provided to us on the uh, IMT recruitment website is long listing. So what does it even mean when 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 the IMT recruitment team are talking about long listing? Yeah, so I guess this is um, just to ensure that you're eligible for the process and part of the application will, will be to make sure that you meet the person's specifications. So 
that you have a medical degree that you are registered with the GMC and that you're fit to practice as per the GMC. You'll also include things like having the skills in written and spoken English and um, providing your employment history. And then on this date, the, the status will be confirmed to you by email. So they'll say that you're either eligible, not eligible, or that they need more information. And one of the yeah. things which, which I found is that basically they say, if you don't hear anything, then no news is good news because yes. they generally only contact those people who more they need more evidence from or they need more, um, or those people who may not be eligible for, mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So yeah, and we should say that, that for most listeners, hopefully that's relatively rudimentary and pretty boring stuff, but it's still important just to mention. And then the long listing should happen by the Friday the 16th of December. So you should hear by then whether or not you've been long listed. And usually that's by email. Short listing will occur by the 21st of December. This is a slightly different process to determine whether or not you will get an interview for INT training, internal medical training. Later on in the podcast, you will have scored yourself on a self-assessment tool and the total score of each application will be the basis on which all applications are ranked to determine if they proceed to interview. This is due to be completed by Wednesday the 21st of December. All shortlisted candidates will be invited to interview by the 22nd of December. So the shortlisting will occur on the 21st and you should get an interview, an invitation to interview by the 22nd. Now that's not booking your interview, which is the next bit, which is even worse. That's over the 29th of December to the 3rd of January. So a nice uh, relaxing Christmas holiday then. Nice. You're <laughs> yeah, you can relax for Christmas and then think about it again before, before the new year or just before. Yeah, and then Manny, so after that, you're going to have that period between the 29th of December to the 3rd of January, which is your interview booking window. And then, so when do the interviews actually start? And that's got a, quite a, a big window for to allow those interviews to happen. That's right. So it's about a month. So the interviews are planned to take place between the 16th of January to the 17th of February. And then the rankings are released a bit later on in, in February, on the 28th of February. And from that date, you'll be able to rank your preferences. And that's between the 28th of February to the 20th of March, which is about three weeks. And after this, the offers will then be made on the 21st of March. I'm very aware there's a lot of dates here. And from there, candidates who have got to this point can then accept, hold or decline their offers. Yeah, and I guess one of the main th bits of advice that I think we should give our listeners at this point is that the interviews should be, when it comes to it, and I'm sure we might even end up doing a, an episode on interviews at that point, but if the interview is not on a good day for you, you might be on call, it might be around a family event, you might have to travel or whatever, but the interviews, I believe, are going to be online rather than face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is you can ask them to reschedule an interview interview for another day you can ask them for that you can request that so it's always worth keeping an open dialogue and emailing the team if you think that's going to be a problem for you
So now that we've gone through the timeline, what we were really going to discuss today is some of the changes to the IMT application scoring matrix. Now this is the matrix on which you will do a self-assessment to determine how many points you will carry forward to determine if you have scored enough to get an interview. So Manny, this is a really important part of the process. It is. And I think um, I think to say early on, I think as well, is that anything that you um, score yourself for, you need to have completed by the time you submit your application. So anything that's half done doesn't count. That's such a good point. It doesn't count. It doesn't mean you can't mention it, but they do look down on people overscoring themselves for stuff they haven't done. And if you put down something that you think you've you feel like you've done or you they find out later at interview you've overscored yourself they can reduce that score at that point so if you get found out they can reduce that score and and it won't have been for anything mm -hmm. and then the other thing is that you, you must have evidence for everything that you claim for you used to need a physical portfolio where you had all your evidence and while they don't ask for it i think they do uh, audit randomly certain people so you may be asked to provide evidence so anything that you are claiming for you must have evidence for yeah and i think if they do ask for that evidence now it's more likely to be can you upload a uh, an electronic copy mm -hmm. to some portal somewhere and someone will just double check all your evidence is you know in order and it corresponds to to what you've claimed for so really important that the things we're going to talk about now ideally the things which you're going to be scoring yourself for need to have been completed by this point but important to say that if it hasn't been completed it doesn't mean you can't mention it somewhere but importantly you can't claim full points for something which is only partially completed i think we've labored that point enough yeah now, you? <laughs> <laughs> okay manny we're going to start this off with a bit of a bang because the first big change to the scoring matrix is essentially one that i think is just absolutely outrageous which is they have removed an entire section of the scoring matrix to do with undergraduate degrees, particularly relating to intercalated degrees. And I should say that all the decisions that were made with regard to this were made by the PRSO, which is the Physician Specialty Recruitment Office. And this was done in conjunction with uh, representation from the three Royal College trainee committees. So there have been uh, trainee doctors present when these decisions have been made but they have basically removed six points for a possible intercalated degree which a lot of people will have done i mean manny just opening reaction what are your thoughts on that yeah i guess initially it wasn't clear to me why that was done and then i started to look into it and it sounds like they did it because people that um either financially didn't have a possibility to do, to do an extra year of an intercalated degree or if their university didn't offer um, an intercalated degree then they would be at a disadvantage um, but it obviously is a shame for people that did intercalate for for those extra points um, and if you think about the other sections a lot of them do have some financial implications as well yeah and I just think I mean for me I am erring more on the side of this is absolutely outrageous because I think I personally probably would have intercalated and full, disclo full disclosure is that I didn't intercalate. But if I had, I would have been pretty annoyed, especially if I'd have been told at medical school, as I know some of my friends and colleagues and peers were, 
that in medical school, you know, you should intercalate. It's going to get you points for your job later down the line. It's going to be really helpful. You get to this point during your foundation years or just beyond that in your trust grade uh, jobs before you then apply for specialty training. And you sort of just feel like the rug's been pulled yeah. under you a little bit. But I guess um, everyone will be in the same position. So compared to other candidates everyone would have lost those points wouldn't they so i mean a- apart from the people like me who didn't intercalate and didn't i don't want to say waste a year of your life doing something because i'm sure it was valuable for other reasons but yeah. i would have felt if i did do it for the points and then those are taken away from me what was the whole point of that year but then it goes to show that you should intercalate for other reasons other exactly. than just getting points that's right <laughs> Okay, so we've gone on about that a little bit, but I should just say my sympathy goes out to those foundation doctors or clinical fellows who did intercalate. So my sympathy, my thoughts are with you right now. (laughs) So bottom line of that is no points for undergraduate degrees this year where you previously would have got six points. But one of the uh, categories which has remained is postgrad degrees. So Manny, do you want to talk us through the various points that you could get for undertaking any postgraduate degrees? And should be said, this is probably more relevant for maybe our postgrad doctors who've done uh, degrees after having, uh, yeah, or, or come to medicine after having already done one degree. Sure. So I, I guess the first thing to say in this section is that it's easy. It's an easy section to think about. You either have done a postgraduate degree or you haven't. Um, so the highest score available in this section is uh, four points. And you get that by having done a PhD or a or a master's, uh, an MD by research. Um, yeah, importantly, an MD, not a master's. MD, sorry, yeah. Because the next set of points is for masters. It's for masters, and then that's that's three points if you've done a master's, and they specify that typically will last eight months or longer. Um, and then you get one point for another relevant postgraduate diploma or certificate uh, in this section you can't claim for any membership examinations or or anything like that including MRCP and um, Sam you have to just correct me if I'm wrong but you can't also claim for any teaching qualification which goes in a different section yeah exactly so we're gonna go on to talk about training and teaching but importantly they say if you've done a postgraduate certificate as part of a clinical education year, for example, they're not counting that in this section. They're counting that in a separate section for training in teaching. So one thing they've used as an example here is the Diploma for Tropical Health, uh, tropical Medicine and Hygiene. But yeah, absolutely. So four points for a PhD or an MD, three points for a Master's, one point for a PG Cert or PG Dip. And then... If you don't have any of those, but maybe you've got one in the works, this might be the opportunity to score yourself a zero, but then in the little text box, just say PG Cert in progress. Yeah. Really enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the next one is under the vague banner of additional achievements. So in the additional achievements section, the highest score is for a high achievement award for your primary medical qualification so having gained an honours or distinction award which is awarded to no more than the top 18% of of that year yeah so basically did you get a distinction at medical school that's the that's the top score for three points and then for two points is uh, if you've been awarded an international or a national prize related to medicine Um, and I don't know how or where you would have got one from (laughs) 
I mean, unless you've gone to a conference and ended up winning a prize yeah. at a national or international conference, maybe. But, you know, it's possible. It's, it's possible. possible. And then one point for a prize or distinction or merit as part of the of your medical course um, awarded to no more than the top 10%. So I, I know in Bristol... There were awards for specific aspects of the course. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I wasn't good enough to get a distinction. Did you? No, I did not. Okay. <laughs> well, me and Manny got here, so I'm sure anyone who's got a distinction out there is streets ahead of us. But one thing I should say is that if you did get any sort of prize or anything from medical school, you can always go back to your medical school and ask them for written confirmation or evidence of that mm -hmm. for use in your portfolio it's quite routine for them just find your um you know medical uh, academy or postgrad office for the university you you went to and they're they're often very helpful in providing that info to you even you know a couple of years after you've graduated so definitely if you're trying to hunt down some evidence get onto that early and try and get in contact with them so that was additional achievements. And the next thing which we're not going to cover in too much detail, and actually the reason for that is that it's not covered in the IMT applications, but it is going to be part of the higher specialty training applications, is whether or not you have MRCP. Now, obviously, this podcast is to do with gaining your paces. So fingers crossed some of the people we've helped along the way will be able to tick this box. And, and it's scored thus you get eight points for the full MRCP, six points for PACES but without the part two written exam, or two points for part two without PACES, and zero for neither of the part two. So even if you've just done part one, there's no points mm -hmm. in it for you. But that's for higher specialty training, so registrars. It is not part of the scoring matrix for IMT training. Moving swiftly on, talking about presentations. Manny, you're someone who I know presents herself <laughs> fantastically. I have presented in my time. At, at all times, <laughs> you present yourself with grace and dignity. I try. Do you want to run the listeners through the presentation sure. scoring matrix? So the highest score available in this section is seven points. And um, it describes a, an oral presentation in which you've been a first or second author given at a national or international medical meeting. And something interesting that I learned while, while looking out for this was that um, you don't have to have presented the thing yourself if, if it was presented on your behalf, but you were the first author, then that still counts. So I think they say first or second author. Yeah. So even if you don't actually do the, present, do the presenting, but you were the second author, mm -hmm. that counts. Just an important note there. Yeah, exactly. Then the next score available is five, and that's for a poster in which you were a first or second author and was shown at a national or international medical meeting. And then, Sam, I wanted to talk to you about uh, QI projects in this section, because I think before you couldn't include a poster relating to a QI project, but it doesn't sound like there's anything on this section, and possibly you, you can include a poster. Yeah, I think so. a QI project. I, I mean... I believe you can because doing the QI itself, which we'll come on to as one of the other sections, doing the QI itself is one thing, but then I believe taking it to a meeting and presenting it is yeah. even is, is slightly different even from there. So I do believe that if you've done a QI, which will get you points in, in a separate section, 
going on to then present that at a national or international meeting will then get you the points on the presentation side of things for a poster or an oral presentation respectively. Exactly. Um, then the next scoring on the presentation section is uh, five and that is an oral presentation in which you are a first or second author that was given at a regional meeting rather than national or international. And that's probably going to be something more like a deanery level yeah. presentation. Exactly. And then the next score is two for an oral presentation in which you were first or second author given at a local medical meeting. And I guess that would be at a hospital level. Yeah, that's probably going to level. be either like your departmental teaching, maybe like a grand round, something like that. Yeah. You know, often just confined to a single hospital. Uh, the next scoring is two again, and it's a poster in you in which you were a first or second author shown at a regional or local medical meeting. So again, that could be in your deanery or in your hospital or university setting. So Manny, for our listeners, one of the things we said at the start is it's it's difficult if you haven't already done this sort of stuff. So you might be thinking in advance, but how can our listeners try and maximise the chances of trying to get a presentation or get a poster presentation in order to be able to score this on their portfolio? I guess starting with the lowest points, I think the easiest way would be to try to present your either QI project or research or audit at your hospital. So like we said before, at a grand round or a departmental meeting. I mean, I would like to think that most people in their F1 years will have been strong-armed into trying to do some sort of teaching at their departmental meeting. Exactly. And thinking about that as well, as part of the F1 curriculum, you're meant to have done a QI project. So if that's there and you've got the data and you haven't got round to gathering it together, it'd be a good time to to try to get it in a presentation and, and try to present it at your hospital yeah absolutely one of the other things that i would definitely think about doing as well and this is maybe what would you call it a trick of the trade try and find a national conference where the acceptance rate is eye-wateringly high (laughs) yeah and i'm not going to mention uh any ones in particular but there is a patient safety conference which is set somewhere in the southwest where i believe the acceptance rate is in the region of above 90 percent i certainly presented my Crystal. <laughs> my presentation there and it's a good opportunity to but it's a national conference yeah it's national and if you present there with i mean i've seen some of the stuff that gets presented there and boy they sure like quality improvement they love it so just an inside tip for our listeners now they're going to be flooded with uh, applicants for yeah, the <laughs> So moving on to the next one, the next one is on publications. And one thing which I'll just say about this is that this is one which has not changed. This one has stayed the same. I should mention as well that the previous section we just covered on presentations, the maximum score had reduced from eight to seven. As far as I can find, the Royal College haven't detailed any reason why that was reduced, um, but just that they've reduced the, the top score from eight to seven whilst the maximum score for the publications side of things has stayed the same the maximum score stayed the same 
they've simplified the scoring matrix. And what uh, in previous years, there was an option for I've presented two or more, or I've published two or more um, peer-reviewed PubMed cited original research articles as the first author. And they have simplified it on the basis that very few people applying to IMT had that <laughs> luxury <Yeah>. available to <laughs> them. If, if by applying to IMT, you have got two first author original research articles to your name i mean yeah that's pretty impressive hats off (laughs) so the new scoring matrix as it stands eight points if you have one or more pubmed cited original research publication and you're the first author joint first author or the corresponding author any of those a fair game for full whack of eight points and then next down we've got six points for being a co-author on one or more original research publications. So that's being a co-author, not a first author or a joint first author or a corresponding author. So you're just a co-author. Next down the line is five points where you're a first author, joint first author, corresponding author or co-author on more than one other publication. So it's not original research. So these are things such as case reports, reviews, editorials, anything like that, that that's not original research. And one thing which I'll just say at this point is that having spoken to consultants who interview for IMTs, they often find a lot of people have struggled in this in this particular domain. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's that easy to, to publish something and you often have to be quite lucky with who you've worked with and unless you've worked very hard to publish something. Um, yeah. yeah, so... All I would say is it's great if you do have this to your name, but it's certainly not the end of the world if you haven't got a publication. And I should spill the beans and say I didn't have a publication when I applied to core medical training. So Yeah, me neither. I had no points for this section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. I mean, this is a bit of a joke as well. I've written one or more chapters of a book related to medicine in its broadest sense. <laughs> I mean, I haven't written any book chapters, no. at least not yet anyway. Not yet. And the next one down is I am first author, joint first author, corresponding author or co-author on just one PubMed cited other publication. So the case reports, reviews, letters, editorials, etc. It's just one. Whereas the one for five points was more than one. And then one point for a published abstract doesn't need to be PubMed cited. Uh, abstracts, non-peer-reviewed articles or published articles for one point uh, and that's your lot for publications so a maximum of eight points but just really important to get your head wrapped around it if you're the uh, academic type. And I guess just thinking about how you can get points I think with with all of these sections I think it's, it's probably too late to try to get points uh, now if you haven't got them already um, but it's good to start thinking about if you're going to have a year, another year out to start thinking about where you can try and get a few more points. And in this section, I think thinking about the second to last or the section where you get three points, you could think about trying to get a case report published or, or replying to a letter in a journal or something like that is a, a, a much easier way of getting some points than to try and publish a whole research, research article. Thing. Yeah. And one thing I should say as well is that it is, as Manny said before, it, it is sometimes just a matter of the people you meet and being lucky on any given day. 
in order you know to, in order to treat someone who is worthy of being a case report but what i would say as well is that it, it is important just to be aware that case reports are valuable and if you think there's a particular case where where you think there are some learning opportunities to come out of it it's worth just speaking to the consultant who's been looking after that patient and say is this worthy of a case report should we maybe think about writing it up yeah exactly and and at the time getting consent from the patient yeah, absolutely. As part of the publication process. Right. Next one. Next domain is teaching. This is very much my ballpark. Having done not one, but two <laughs> clinical education fellow roles. Wow, impressive. One after my foundation years and then one before my reg level years. Beautiful. And I would say clinical teaching fellowships, wherever you do them, mm. usually I find a, a, they're high yield for portfolio building stuff yeah absolutely often they offer some sort of pg cert in education medical education something like that they're often really good opportunities for having enough basically enough time to build your portfolio to find case reports to carry out qi projects and couldn't recommend it enough and again one thing to say is they haven't changed the maximum number of points for this teaching experience one either but again i think they have simplified it somewhat so maximum of six points for organizing a teaching program over three months or longer now for those of you who are in a teaching fellowship this sort of stuff is just pretty bog standard you will probably as part of your fellowship be organizing medical students over a period of three months in conjunction with their university and you know there you go six points off the bat and i think that's really really straightforward and easy to do yeah, and I guess if you're not a clinical teaching fellow, uh, do you get in touch with them? I'm sure they always appreciate extra help to teach on the wards, do bedside teaching or or anything really. Um, so you can certainly get in touch with them and try to organise something. I'm sure they really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And then for three points, so half as many points, just for providing regular teaching over a period of three months rather than organising and in reality you're sort of splitting hairs a little bit i mean if you've taught regularly for over three months you can probably sell it that you've organized the thing yeah and i guess the important uh, thing with all of these is that you must have formal feedback um so make sure you do get feedback from your sessions and you do keep a record of all of that yeah absolutely couldn't agree with you more there manny definitely always get your feedback and then one point for occasional teaching efforts and yeah absolutely as Manny says making sure that you're sending out those feedback forms all those feedback questionnaires online making sure that you're getting responses so you can evidence it when it comes to interview um I guess I just wanted to just provide another example of how you could get points here and could be in your specialty that you're working in you could organize a departmental teaching if that doesn't already exist where you get you give some teaching but also organize a series of sessions where you have peer-led teaching and you uh, encourage your colleagues to also deliver teaching sessions and yeah that's another fairly easy and nice way to get some points there yeah definitely and this should really be something which is relatively simple to get and so as long as you've got three months of time to do, to you know dedicate to teaching, hopefully you'll score maximum points. So that's training in teaching. So that one is teaching experience. This next one is training in teaching, which we alluded to earlier. There's only three options here. 
three points for a master's level teaching qualification. So if you've dedicated a significant amount of time and, and got a master's from it, that's something completely different. And so I guess that would also be something which you probably wouldn't be able to claim in the previous section, I imagine. Although yeah. they didn't particularly mention that for the Masters. They only mentioned that for the PGC. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure. We'll get back to you on that, listeners. <laughs> and then this is where you should claim for your PG Cert or PG Diploma in medical education of some sort. As I've mentioned, often comes with doing the uh, clinical education or clinical teaching fellowships. And then for one point, you've had training in teaching methods, which is below the level of a PG Cert or a PG Dip. And this is something which they have changed. They have reduced the score from four points to three, and they've merged two of the domains together. And particularly, there was one domain which was uh, regarding uh, training courses lasting two days or less than two days. And I sort of think, at that point, you're probably just splitting hairs, really, aren't you? Yeah. Some ways in which you can get points in this section, obviously. I think there are some train the teacher or teach the teacher courses that you can pay for but I know that some universities also offer free online courses if you're involved in teaching their students Um, and I know that for example Bristol have a foundations in medical education course that you can do and that will certainly give you one point if you're teaching Bristol medical students. And that's free? That's free, Can you do it if you don't teach Bristol medical students? Um, I think it specifically says if you're teaching their students but I'm not sure if we have to look into that or if they ask where you work. <laughs> the sun again, or, influx of applications. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or maybe other universities offer the same or something similar. Okay. To, and, I, and I did do, before COVID, they were really lovely face-to-face sessions. I think now they do them online over two days. or. Interesting. So worth, uh, worth inquiring about that at your local university if you think there's something uh, available there for you, potentially free educational teaching for a point. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the next section, something we've yammered on about pretty much throughout the course of this uh, podcast, quality improvement, Manny, yeah, talk to us. so quality improvement has become, has become a big part of our lives. And as I said before, it was part of, or it is, it is part of the F1 curriculum. I was actually born doing a PDSA cycle. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> it is it's a beautiful thing. And um, there's all sorts of QI... Uh, projects out there so the first um, score available is for five points which is involvement in all stages uh, of two cycles of a quality improvement project and that involves the the planning and the data collection analysis of the stages of the QI project yeah so there's one doing the initial assessment implementing a change and then reassessing the same domains Mm -hmm. to see if you've made a difference. Exactly. And the sad thing about this is that it doesn't really need to be, not sad at all actually, the thing about this is it doesn't need to be really complicated. It can be literally something to tick a box, which is sort of sad in a way, but I sort of think it always means more if the QI project actually means something to you. And I'm never willing to give up any more time than I'm able to apart from if I actually care about the thing yeah exactly I think you should feel some interest in in whatever you're doing and and I think it's really important to get other people involved who are going to be staying at the hospital I think as junior doctors obviously we rotate around and and move on but if you do want to make a difference 
um, then uh, getting, for example, specialist nurses involved in your QI project is really important. But Yeah. And just I've seen one thing which is important here is that in the scoring domain matrix, it does say presentation of a project is not an essential stage as not all QI work requires presentation. So I would guess that what we were talking about earlier or deliberating about earlier is that it's separately for the presentation and the QI. The other important aspect of this is that basically the applications for IMT and higher specialist training, so registrar jobs, they're very similar. Yeah. And so if you do a high quality QI project early on, sometime in your foundation years, you can ride that wave, baby. <laughs> Yeah. Right through to being a reg. I'm just looking at applying for higher specialty training and I was so surprised when I saw basically all the sections are the same and points for which you've had for IMT will carry on to your higher specialty training. So if you have a a year out of training, um, this is a really good opportunity to, to really work on your portfolio, get lots of points which will carry on through to your next stage of applications. Yeah, absolutely. So five points for all stages of two cycles of a PDSA Mm -hmm. cycle Um, of a QI project. Of a QI project. And then we have three points for involvement in some stages of two cycles of a QI project or involved in all stages of a single cycle of a quality improvement project. Uh, And then for one point, it's involvement in some stages of a single cycle of a QI project. Um, so if, for example, you were involved in data collection and analysis, but you weren't involved in implementing the change, for example. Yeah. And the thing just to mention about this one, which is important and differentiates between IMT and higher specialty training, the, the word leading, which is present in the higher specialty training matrix, but not the IMT matrix. So for the higher specialty training, it really should be, you know, your project, your idea, your mind baby which Mm -hmm. you've then grown into a beautiful quality improvement project. Whereas for IMT, you're maybe not actually expected to have led led it. Maybe you just played a significant part. And then moving on to leadership. Now, this is a tricky little domain because (laughs) I actually think prior to IMT or core medical training as I did, I don't really think there were many opportunities to be medical leaders, to be honest. Maybe I'm just not in the right clubs. Maybe. But I guess, as I understand it, the the beautiful thing is that you could have been a leader in other aspects of your life. That's true. This is probably the only uh, domain which values anything you do outside of work. So it talks about um, leadership in charity, scouting, guides, sports, creative arts at a national or regional level. What about quite in- a high level. What about international podcasting? I think that would count. Well, for sure. Well, we're all fine then. <laughs> and yeah. that's wait, that's and and okay, so Manny, do you want to talk us through the the various points for the leadership yeah. domain? Yeah. So I guess the the first one with the highest points available is for four points and that's if you've held a national or regional leadership or managerial role for six or more months and can demonstrate making an impact um so that's four points for national or re- regional leadership and importantly as we said it doesn't have to be medical yeah exactly yeah um and then 
the second one down is for two points and that's leadership or managerial role for six months or more uh, but locally and I think maybe that's a bit easier to get Uh, for example you were a club president or society president or club captain at your university and I think that's where you could gain those points and Mm. were you mess president I wasn't mess president but at university I was vice president of the cheese society Um, I don't know if Vice President of Girls, but I feel like I did have a leadership role there. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, I was not expecting you to say that. What's your favourite cheese? It varies, but um, at the moment it would be Cambozola. It's a beautiful mixture of Gorgonzola and Camembert. What? I know. (laughs) Okay, we could talk for another hour and put out as more bonus content, but I think I feel we need to nip that in the bud before we get carried away with (laughs) ourselves. Um, I just want to say here, actually, uh, in the um, you don't actually get any points for this, but um, there is a uh, an online course. Again, it's free, and it's called the Edward Jenner program and it's a free leadership course that you can do it again like I said it doesn't get you points for the application but something to write about and I'm sure you learn some very important skills if you're if you're thinking about leadership so that pretty much brings us to the end of the various domains under which you will score yourself and so I think we just wanted to extract a couple of just key points and like some closing bits of advice for you on that and I did some scribbling of some sums down on the on the back of an envelope and basically the number of total points has reduced from 56 for IMT training to 40. So basically every point where previously the point was worth 1.7% of the maximum score you could possibly get, it's now worth 2.5%. So essentially each point is now worth 50% more than it was last year so basically long story short and you knew this anyway but every point counts so if you have time to prepare and build your portfolio it really does pay dividends in in the long run and Manny I think you just wanted to talk a bit as well about how not to feel too too intimidated by what we've talked about yeah we were just talking about how how what our applications were like and I certainly had uh, some sections with no points at all um, and don't worry about it. the 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 application section is to to get you an interview and the portfolio element is not the only important thing you've got the interview and there's plenty of time to prepare for that as well <laughs> having an average point score um in the application the initial application doesn't mean you you won't get a job in the in the area that you want yeah, absolutely. And like Manny says, you don't have to have got a PhD and present, present and presentations, publications and everything. I think what's important is you get enough points to get an interview mm-hmm. and then you can absolutely smash the interview and that can elevate your score above your peers who might have more on their portfolio. And it happens. And I guess they just want to see why you, why you want to do IMT and, and that, you're, that you're keen for it, you know? Yeah, Exactly. And, you know, maybe in future, maybe after Christmas, we'll be looking at some episodes looking at interview prep for your IMT interviews. Yeah, that would be grand. So I think that's pretty much all the advice we had for you looking just closely at the IMT application scoring matrix 
I hope it's been of some value to you. Let us know if it has been helpful, if it's been helpful for you planning your applications. But that only just leaves us to thank Dr. Manuela Amaya, <laughs> like papaya. Exactly. Manny, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Hey, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really fun. And listeners, that's the end of another show. Don't forget, if you, fa- if you have found it helpful, do get in touch because it really does mean a lot when I hear from you guys and you guys say that you found the podcast helpful. So... Give us a comment or give us a tweet. It's at Prepaces Podcast. You can like, follow, subscribe to the show. If you really love it, leave a five-star review. And if you really, really love it, go above and beyond and support the show. It's buymeacoffee.com slash Podcast. But for now, we are, once again, just about out of time. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Prepaces Podcast.